0: I am. Uh, two very simple words, only three letters, but in John's gospel, one of the four gospels in the Bible, he makes a big deal about this. Um, he, he notices something that the other gospel writers don't notice and that Jesus identifies himself in a way when he says things like, I am the bread of life, I am the, the good shepherd. Uh, he's, he's, he's identifying himself with something very profound and we learned that last week in John chapter 8 when some religious leaders gathered around Jesus and argued with him about who he was. Some thought he was demon-possessed. Some thought he was a Samaritan. And um, Jesus confronted them and said, you know, you you link yourself to your ancestor Abraham. You think you're somebody special because you have genealogical connection to Abraham. Abraham was the man God gave the, the biggest promise in the Old Testament too, that God would raise up a family and through that family would be an offspring and that offspring would be a blessing to all the nations on the earth. And so they said, well, I don't know who you are, Jesus, but we know Abraham, and he's, he's our man. And Jesus said this. He said, before Abraham was born, I am. And they picked up stones and prepared to kill him. You, you think, well, what was the big deal? I mean, he just said something kind of weird. Before Abraham was born, I am. Should have said, I was, or, or something like that. But he says, I am. But what Jesus was doing was linking himself to the name of God revealed in the Old Testament to Moses. See, Moses uh, was was out in the wilderness, Mount Horeb, and came across this bush that was burning but wasn't burning up. And a voice came from the bush and said, Moses, I've heard the cries of my people in Egypt. The the Israelites were slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years. He says, I've heard the cries, and I'm going to deliver them. And Moses is going, all right, all right. And God says, here's how I'm going to deliver them, through you. You're going to go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses said, I don't know how I'm going to do that. I mean, if I go to the people and say, yeah, here's what God told me to, to, uh, to do, um, they'd say, like, oh, who's he that talked to you? Who is this God that talked to you? And God said to Moses, I am that I am. Here's what you should tell them. Tell them I am has sent you. And so when Jesus said before Abraham was born, I am, he was saying, I am the I am of the Old Testament. And I am there is actually four um, Hebrew letters. They're, they're transliterated in English as YHWH. There's no vowels in there. And it was a name that was so sacred that Jewish people will not even say it. And so they inserted a different name, a name for Lord in place of Yahweh, a name that they called Adonai. But any time in your Bible when you see the, the, the name Lord in all caps, that's, that's the, called the tetragrammaton, the four letters Y-H-W-H. And those, those verses that talk about the Lord often talk in the future about Jesus, that Jesus is the I Am of the Old Testament. And so when, whenever John says these words from Jesus, that I am something, he's, he's linking him with something very powerful, very profound. And so today we're going to look at the first of those visual symbols, I am the bread of life. Jesus says that in verse 35. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. I love the fact in this very first message we get to talk about bread. I mean, some of you are cutting bread out of your life. I know a lot of people say, you know, I don't eat bread anymore. You know, bread's just high calorie and I've lost 10 pounds since I cut bread out of my diet. Well, you need to know that, that, that the bread today is not like the bread of old. Bread of old was made with sprouted grains. It had some nutritional value. It had fiber in it. But today, you know, we, we, we bleach the the wheat, and then we have to add vitamins to it because it's not very nutritious. And so that white fluffy stuff, eh, that's awful bread. But the bread in Jesus' day was actually pretty good for you. But if if Jesus was trying to make the point of, hey, I I am the healthy one for you, he would have said, I am the kale of life. (laughs) I'm the avocado of life, superfood. I'm a superfood. I I am the salmon of life. And, you know, all of us would go like, oh, that's pretty good, but, you know, but bread... I love bread. I have this weakness for bread. I pick restaurants and get excited about the bread. We're, we're going to Olive Garden. They got breadsticks. Ah! Oh. And, and then we go, we're going to Golden Corral. Oh, I'm going to fill up on those big, fluffy, white, hot rolls. Um, go to Outback. You've got that kind of rye or wheat loaf that's dark, and if you ask, they'll give you um, cinnamon, honey butter, so good. I mean, we go to another Italian restaurant. We take the the crunchy bread and dip it in the olive oil and the spice. I mean, Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving, the very first thing I always eat are the rolls. Anybody else like that? I just love the smell of bread. I love the taste of bread. And I think here's the point Jesus is making. Not just that he's healthy. He's healthy for you. But you know, there's something in us that goes, man, bread, bread just satisfies I think here's what Jesus is trying to say. I'm the bread of life because I satisfy the craving of the soul. Satisfy the craving of the soul. Now, some of the best bread I ever had was on a mission trip in Azerbaijan. Azerbaijan is a country above Iran. We had a mission team that went there several years ago. And we ate with some missionaries one night in the southern part of Azerbaijan. And one of the missionaries was asked to go and get some bread for the evening meal. So I got in the car with them. We drove to the edge of town just to just less than a mile away. And along this gravel road were a number of awnings with older ladies that had aprons on, and they are standing around these clay things. I learned later they were ovens called tendors or tenders. And what they do is they would, they would put coals in it, you know, wooden things, and, and burn it. And then when it died down, that would be their oven for baking. And they would slap these pieces of dough on the wall inside this oven and then it would bake and then they would use these tongs and pull it off and it would look something like this these, these loaves so we picked up three loaves of fresh hot bread that just came out of that oven it was like a buck and we took it back and man I had several pieces of that hot bread with butter on it just before we ate anything it was so good it just had this crisp a crunchy outside, and whatever the stone oven does, it has a special flavor, so that was on there. And it just was good. And it made me think, when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, man, I just think he's telling us, I satisfy you like nothing else. I satisfy you. So what I want to do is, is look at the story in the Gospel of John, because actually, this example of Jesus comes out of a miracle with bread. And so before we actually look at the story, I'm going to ask you to do something. Would you pause with me to pray? And ask God to speak to you today and remind you that what you're looking for, more than anything else, the thing that will satisfy your soul isn't isn't the spouse, isn't the new job, isn't the healed body. The thing you need most of life, in life, is Jesus. So, Lord, help us to understand how you are the bread of life today. And what you do in our souls to satisfy us. Would you satisfy that craving, Lord? Some of us in this room don't even know that what we're craving for really is you. So speak to us today so that we may say yes to you in Jesus' name, amen. Now, we don't have time to go through the whole book or chapter of John 6, but I want to sum- summarize a story. The crowds had gathered to follow Jesus. I mean, they, they came out in droves to see Jesus. They wanted to know um, what jesus had to say he 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 was he was a draw and thousands it says five thousand people were there and jesus recognized the fact that the day had gotten long and they hadn't eaten so he told his disciples we need to feed them and they go how we don't have food to feed them and and, and a guy said well there's a little kid here with the a lunch and john makes a special note that there were five small barley loaves and two small fishes and jesus said perfect He blessed them, began to break them. They put them in baskets, started to distribute them. And it says that everyone ate as much as he wanted. I imagine the men there probably said, oh, yeah, dried fish, bread. No, wow, this is great. And they ate their fill. and, And there was so much left over that they gathered up several basketfuls of the leftovers. That's more than they started with. This is a miracle. This is a fantastic miracle. And it says in that chapter that they then sought to make Jesus their king. You can you can imagine that if if Jesus starts meeting your needs like that, man, I want him to be the head of things. I want him to be king. And so Jesus ends up going around, and there's another story where he walks on the water, gets to the other side of the, the lake. And lo and behold, the people come around the lake and they follow him. They want more. And so we come to John chapter 6. I'm going to start reading with verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, you were looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him... God the Father has placed his seal of approval. What we're going to find in this passage is that Jesus is going to address some key issues in their lives, but more importantly for us today, in our lives as well. And the first one is this, our pursuit of lesser things. Our pursuit of lesser things. Now, this event happened in Jesus' ministry after he'd been around for a couple years doing miracles and teaching. So these people had, had learned about Jesus. Man, Jesus is the best show in town. You never know when he's going to cast a demon out, heal a sickness, walk on water, cause a storm to still. You never know what's going to happen. It's just exciting to follow Jesus. Something's going to happen. And on this occasion, he does this incredible miracle of the multiplication of the fish and the loaves. And so they decide, man, that's the kind of guy we want is king. So it says they tried to take him by force. It's interesting that when someone gives you a freebie, man, you, you have a loyalty to that person. I mean, think about how many people love our government because they get something free. And when governments are saying, hey, we're thinking about free college tuition, hey, count me in, I like free. And we all know free isn't free. Someone pays for it. But the fact that, that, God, that, that Jesus would offer this free bread, that's a pretty good deal. I mean, if we made Jesus king, our cupboards are full. I mean, he could just, he could just go in there and, and take the lasagna and... And we feed feed the whole Italian family right there, just with you know with a little piece of it. He he can do that. I mean, Jesus could could do that. So let's make this guy king. But Jesus confronts them and says, You guys didn't come to follow me because of the the, the miracle. You came because you got your belly filled with bread. That's why you're after me. you're, You're after something that's so shallow, and I have something so much greater to offer you. I mean, I have something that's a different kind of bread. He says, "Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you." See, the Bible uses a couple different words for life. One of those is bios, uh, from which we get the word biology. It refers to the physical existence we have. So we take care of our bios life. We feed it. We 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 allow it to sleep. You know, we take care. We clothe this body. This is my life. This is my bios. This is the earthly physical life. But Jesus used a different word when he talked about eternal life. It's called zoe. Zoe is a divine life. It is a spiritual life. It is much deeper. It goes beyond the physical life. And what he's telling them is, you guys are so focused on the temporary bios kind of life things when I want to talk to you about eternal zoe kind of life things. And I wonder sometimes how often we are satisfied with lesser than what God has to give us. C.S. Lewis once wrote, he's a great um, English writer, he says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased." what what, what C.S. Lewis is saying is what Jesus was saying is, is all you want is bread? Really? That's that's the extent of your desires? And it makes me think of oftentimes at church. I told you back in January that there's a trend of people coming to church less and less. And and part of the reason is we've developed this consumeristic mindset of, well, what does Jesus have to give me? You know, okay, uh, maybe he can heal my body. Maybe he can make me successful. Maybe he can help my marriage. And um, there are many preachers who focus on the things that Jesus can do for you. And what happens often in our minds is Jesus is a dispenser of blessings. And as long as I can get that blessing, I want Jesus. I don't want Jesus. I just want his blessings. I want what Jesus has to give. Jesus is the means to get what I want. You get what I'm saying? Jesus, Jesus is the way for me to live life the way I want to live it. So if Jesus can just make my life better, I like Jesus. And Jesus is, a, Jesus is not opposed to making you healthy, giving you a job, blessing your marriage. I'm not, I'm not saying that. He's saying, I, I, I'll give you your daily bread. I, I'll take care of those daily needs. But don't you want something more? Because tomorrow you're going to want bread again. And the next day, and the next day. And someday you're going to die, and the bios life will be over. Then what? All you've done is survive this earthly life, which is so short in the scope of eternity. Don't you want something more? Don't you, want, uh, want, don't you hunger for something deeper? And see, what Jesus is trying to tell us is the thing you really crave is me. Is me. See, when you get married, there are a lot of benefits of marriage. Uh, you have companionship. Man, I'm not going to be alone anymore. There's someone to do stuff with. Um, you have shared labor. Man, I have someone to help me with the kids and the chores, and you know, we can do what we like to do, and we'll work together and make this household work. That's, that's comforting to know I have someone to share the duties of life with. Um, sexual intimacy. I have someone that is mine. And when I want to make love, I've got my partner to make love with. So you know, those are benefits of marriage. But you know what? If, if, if you said on your wedding day, Um, hey, the reason I'm getting married to you is because, man, I'm going to have someone to do stuff with, someone to share the workload with, someone to have sex with. The spouse would go, what about me? Aren't you getting married because of me, to pursue me? And all that comes with it? Isn't that why we get married, to know another person deeper, to pursue that person, not just to reap the benefits of the relationship? That's where many of us even fail in our marriage. We just get we we stop pursuing and and Jesus is saying, I am the one you should pursue. See, even today I was thinking, we come to church. Why? Well, because I like I like the music, I like it makes me feel good. I like like to talk to God in prayer and, and I like to hug people and those are all good, those are fine. But I really think I come to church to come to Jesus. I come to church so I can come to Jesus because there's not much else through the week that helps me come to Jesus, so but church does. I want to come to Jesus. And at the end of the service, we're going to invite you to come to Jesus because he is the bread that truly satisfies. He didn't come to give us stuff as much as he came to give us himself. And he goes on in verse 28. Jesus, uh, or then they asked him, asked Jesus, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What sign then will you give us that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, It is not Moses who has given you bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. And then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus next addresses our reluctance to believe. Our reluctance to believe. Their response focuses on themselves. What must we do to get this bread? You know, we've got to do something, because it's about us and our performance, and and they're, they're getting it wrong as every religion gets it wrong. I mean, every religion in the world is about performance, about works. If you keep this festival, if you say these prayers, if you honor, uh, honor God in this way, if you give these alms, if you, if you celebrate the Mass this way, if you do all these things right, then God will, will shine favor upon you. So what must I do? What must I do to get the favor of God? And Jesus says, The only work you can do is this, believe on the one he has sent. It's not about working, it's about believing. Believe in the one he has sent. So they said, well, then, for us to believe, we need to see a miracle. What miracle can you do? Now, think about this. They just saw the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. The fish and the loaves are broken and multiplied. And if Jesus would have said, guys, what just happened on the other side of the lake? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, that one. How about another one? How about a bigger one? How about a better one? I mean, that was a good one, Jesus. That was really good. But could you do something like like this? Our ancestors had manna in the wilderness. If you remember that story, for 40 years in the wilderness, when they were wandering, every day God provided this stuff called manna. They would wake up in the morning. It was kind of like cornflakes. And they would go around and gather all this up, and that was their food for that day. But they ate that every day for 40 years. He said, Jesus, you know, you did this for our ancestors for 40 years I mean, you did the bread thing. That was pretty cool, but can you do it for 40 years? Can, can you do something that's comparable to what they reached? Then we could believe in you. And I'm wondering, really? Because when people ask for signs, I need a sign from God before I believe, I really question, how ready are you to believe? It almost feels like, God, I'm giving you a reason why I don't believe. And my reason is this. I, I, I haven't been convinced. I mean, they saw the sign. It wasn't convincing enough. And here's, here's why they're called signs. John calls Jesus' miracles signs because a sign points to something. A A sign gives information about something. So if you have a sign in front of a building like we do on our corners of the church property, it tells what this place is. Sometimes you see signs that say how you should conduct yourself, 30 miles an hour. Sometimes you see a sign that says, you know, this is coming up ahead. Signs communicate a message. The miracles of Jesus communicate a message of who Jesus is, what Jesus can do, For our lives. And they wouldn't believe. It wasn't quite enough for them. Does witnessing a miracle convince you that God is who He says He is? You know, I wonder sometimes if some of us are saying, God, you need to prove yourself. And God says, I have over and over again. You just aren't listening. For example, think about this human life is a miracle. Human life is a miracle. The thought that, that, uh, a single cell from a man, a single cell from a woman can come together and when they unite and form an embryo, in that embryo, this little microscopic thing is the, is the entire blueprint of your body. Entire blueprint of, of, of your eyes, your brain, your nervous system, what gender you are, your heart and how your heart is supposed to function. All these things are all con- confined in this tiny little microscopic thing. And we're told in our culture, that just happened. This mindless process of evolution and mutation brought that into being. And if you put a a cell, we remember this from biology class, put a cell under a microscope, electronic microscope, and and zoom in on that little microscopic cell, and it's like a whole factory. And that cell working and processing stuff together, Really, an accident? I think God's, God looks down at us and goes, really? Really? I mean, think about the, I think about the human body. H- how did all of these systems, from the nervous system, which communicates messages back and forth from the brain, to the circulatory system, which transmits food and, and, and uh, oxygen, to every extremity of the body, to the digestive system, which processes food and eliminates waste and processes the good stuff, uh, you know, to, to, to the skeletal system, all these systems... Work together simultaneously and beautifully. Oh, and they just happened that way. It just happened. Without design, without intelligence, it just happened that way. Come on. Come on. Stuff like that just doesn't happen. Yes, you can get a rock formation blown in the wind that looks like something and go, well, that's, that's pretty impressive. But it's, think of the intricacy. When I hold a little baby and look at that baby and what happened inside of that mother to form this little child and those eyes are in the right place and the nostrils are in the right place and everything's working. I look at that and I'm in awe of that miracle. I mean, think of planet Earth. There is no place in all of the galaxy that is like planet Earth. And and science tells us that if Earth was just a little bit closer to the sun, we would fry. If it was just a little bit further from the sun, we would freeze to death. But we're just the right distance from the sun, which, by the way, is 93 million miles away. And the heat you feel from the sun is traveling 93 million miles to get to you as if somebody says, I'm going to warm your body, and I'm going to feed your plants, and I'm going to take care of the earth, and, put the, and I'm going to put the moon in the sky to cause tidal movements within the flow of the earth. And the earth has all this stuff called water that you don't see in abundance anywhere else. And do you know this about water? Most things, when they get cold, contract. Contract water expands you know what that causes water to do floats floats you know why that's so critical that's why lakes don't freeze solid in the winter and kill all the creatures in them it provides it provides this protective layer for the creatures underneath well who who made water to do that who made water to expand instead of shrink well somebody had a really brilliant idea when they made it like that (laughs) well i think we have god to think right so God's performed, and, and he even says in Scripture, all nature screams every day and night that there is a God. So you need another miracle, another sign? And, and most of us have seen other things that God has done. His question for us is, what is it going to take for you to believe? What miracle do you need before you believe? He says, I've shown you so much. And so in verse 36... Jesus says, "I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe, all those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven to do not my will, but to do the will of the one who sent me, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of those that He has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For this is my Father's will that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall, shall have eternal life, and I'll raise him up at the last day. At this, the, the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? They just couldn't get over the fact that Jesus looked like an average guy. And they knew some things about his earthly life. They just couldn't believe he was the one that came from heaven to earth from God. He was the bread that God gave from heaven. Do you know the most important thing about you is what you believe about Jesus? That is the most important thing about you. It's not your career. It's not your legacy. It's it's, it's not your health. It's not your intelligence. It's not your grade point average. The most important thing about you is what you believe about Jesus because what you believe about Jesus will open or shut the door to eternity. Who do you say that he is? What more does God have to do to convince you to give your life to him, to trust in him? He's given us a lot of reason. So he addresses our reluctance to believe, but then the the story goes on, starting with verse fifty one. I just jumping down for the sake of time. He says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his Flesh to eat. And Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day, for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Now, Jesus did not say this. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood. <laughs> Uh, they're just getting freaked out this sounds gross it sounds kind of cannibalistic and what does he mean and I think Jesus is saying you know you guys I need to shock you a little bit I need you to know you I need you to know how serious this issue is unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood you have nothing to do with me they're having a really hard time with this and you know what they did most of them left this is just too complicated. This is just too hard. I don't know what Jesus is asking. I'm out of here. And it says that many of his disciples no longer followed him at that point. These people had been following him, some for weeks, some for months, some for actually a couple years. This wasn't early in Jesus' ministry, this was toward the end of his ministry. And they said, You know what? It's like, we've been coming to church for, for quite a while. You're making things pretty tough now. You're making things pretty demanding. And, and I'm going to go. And there's a time when Jesus needs to thin the crowd. By raising the bar and say, okay, if you're going to follow me, it's going to take this. And sometimes some of us say, I'm not going there. I'm out. God's asking too much of me. That's not what I borrowed I like the bread. I like the bread that he gives. I don't like this idea of this all-consuming thing of consuming Jesus in our lives. And so Jesus goes on and talks to his own disciples. I'm going to jump down to verse 66. It says, from this time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. He's addressing now their freedom to choose, their freedom to choose. This is a critical moment, critical moment for his disciples. And I think a critical moment for us that we come to when we gather in this place is where are you going to go? Where will you go with your life? And Jesus raises this issue uh, it has been a long time in debate in churches, this issue of God's sovereignty and human will, the free will of man. So God's sovereignty is this. God is in control. God is in charge. God is the authority. And Jesus said, um, all who the Father draws to me will come to me, and I'll never lose them. And, you know, and then, then Jesus turns around and he says to his disciples, what about you? Are you going to go? What's your choice? Everyone else, started, everyone else is left here but you guys. What are you going to do? And Peter says, I'm not going anywhere because you have the words of eternal life. We're staying right here. And you see this choice that Peter makes to stay. And I honestly don't know how those all work together, that God is sovereign. But I do know this, that, that I came to the Lord not because I woke up one day and said, I need to find God. I, I came to the Lord because God was chasing me. I came to the Lord because he made the first move. God, God intervened in my life to make me fully aware that there is a God And I have a choice to make. And that choice is something I've made continually over and over again, that I will trust him. I will follow him. I will surrender to him. That's something God's given me, the freedom to do. And God gives you the freedom. I'd hate to be in a position where we're resting, thinking, I wonder wonder if I'm one of the ones that he loves and, and is calling to himself. But if you're within earshot of what I'm talking about today, you're in a position to respond in faith, to what Jesus is calling you to do. And maybe someday you'll find out in heaven whether you're one of the called ones or not, but I believe he's calling us to respond, to follow him, and to choose. And you know, I came to a place in my life where I was like Peter. Uh, Jesus, I've come so far in this journey, I I have nowhere else to go. If I turn away from you, there's nothing out there that compares. And I don't always understand you, I don't always feel happy about what you're doing in my life, but if I turn away from you, Where am I going to go? Is there another religion out there that sounds better? No, there isn't. What am I going to do? You have the words of eternal life. I really do believe that you are the Son of God. I do. And so I'm going to stick with you, and I'm going to follow you through to the end, and that is faith. And this whole concept of eating his flesh, drinking his blood, I, I really think Jesus is simply saying this, get serious about me. You're, you, you Get in or get out. Get all in with me or get out. Consume me. And this concept of consuming the Lord it isn't foreign in the Bible. For example, I want to share with you a verse from Psalm 34, verse 8. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Mmm, yummy. How, how do you do that? How, what, what does it mean? How, how do you taste the Lord? I mean, think about that. How do I taste Jesus? I, help me, Pastor. How do I taste Jesus? Well, listen to the second part of that verse. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. I think what he's saying there is, here's how you taste and see. You trust in him. Take refuge in him. See, what I think, this whole concept of tasting really is trusting. Tasting is trusting. Trust and see that the Lord is good. Step out. Trust him. Taste him. Check it out. And you're going to find that he is good. I fully believe that. You step out in faith in the Lord, and you're going to find out, man, he's a good God. He wants good for my life. And so Jesus said, this is the work of God, to believe in the one he has sent, to trust in him. Over and over again in this whole passage, he kept talking to them about, if you believe in me, you have eternal life. Why don't you believe in me? The whole focus of this chapter is believe in me, believe in me. So taste in me, trust in me. What do we trust in? First of all, trust who Jesus is. He's the Son of God, he came from heaven came to earth, died on a cross for our sins, went back to heaven. He wants to take us to heaven with himself. Trust who Jesus is. We trust what Jesus says. We trust his words. His words are like food. In Matthew 4, when Jesus was in the wilderness and he was tempted there, he quoted an Old Testament verse that says this, man shall not live on bread alone, but in every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You need more than bread. Your real food is the word of God. Feast on the Word of God. And David knew this. When David wrote the Psalms, listen to Psalm 119, verse 103. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. When you really get into God's Word, it satisfies the soul, unlike food to the body. It is, a, it is truly a satisfying experience. And then he says, trust what Jesus did. We trust Jesus. Not only what he, what, what he says about himself and the words that come from his mouth, but we trust what he did. Because what Jesus did... Was so amazing! I shared with it earlier. He went to a cross for us, and on the night he was betrayed, took that bread and he broke it. He said, "This is my body, broken for you. Take and eat. Believe that Jesus died for your sins." See, our whole problem goes back to a food problem back in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve were told not to eat of the forbidden fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when they ate of that in the rebellion, sin entered the world and so did death. And all through every generation, sin has followed and death has followed. And Jesus comes along and he says, I'm going to take your penalty for sin. I'm going to take the consequences for your sin and remove that from you by going to a cross and dying for you. And so now instead of eating the forbidden fruit, eat the beautiful food the bread of life. Taste and see that I am good. Trust and see that I am good. And so we're going to trust him today, aren't we? We're going to trust him. Maybe there's something you're going through today in your life. You need to say, God, I need to trust you. For some of you today, you, you, you've come to the realization of, you know, I've been coming to church just for what Jesus gives. But I really want the source. I don't want a slice of the bread. I want the source of the bread. I want Jesus, because when you have Jesus, you get it all. Why don't you come to Jesus today? Just surrender yourself fully to Him. Just release yourself to Jesus. Say, Jesus, my focus of life, my whole focus of life is consuming you and making you a part of my life. Just like food gets digested, becomes part of you, Jesus, I want to just focus so much on you become part of me, and you reign in my life.